By a show of hands, what are some of the things you guys said for when is it hard to obey? Now we just got done with our small groups. When is it hard to obey? Can you think of a time in which it's been hard for you? If it goes against you and what you desire, yeah. That can be hard. I don't want to do it. Jeffrey. Jeffrey says when it goes against your priorities and you're not sure which one you're supposed to do. So you have conflicting commands and you're not sure which one you're supposed to obey. That's great, yeah. Can you think of a case scenario? Is there a time in your life that you specifically think, man, this was a hard time to obey for me? Yeah. You just said that uh, this is for the recording. It's hard to obey when you're tired. I think so. It's hard to be on time for work when you're tired. It's hard to listen to your parents when they're telling you to do something you absolutely don't want to do, right? Your parents say, clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. Well, then you can't have any people over. Well, what if I don't want you over, mom, right? There are definite times in which it's hard to obey. And I'm trying to get you guys to speak out a little bit so that you can identify with the things that we're going to talk about tonight. But even though you're not saying anything, I know that you guys have times in which it's hard to obey. Let me boil it down for you. I think, I believe, that what we're going to learn today is that sometimes God expects us to obey even when we're not sure of why he's asking us to obey. Sometimes your parents will ask you to obey because why? Because I said so. And then that makes you want to, re want to rebel even more. Why can't I get a tattoo? Because I said so. But it's not even like a sin in the Bible. I looked in the Bible and all the verses right after that it says like you can't have long sideburns. And I know that that's ridiculous. So obviously this is ridiculous. Let me show you the, the scriptures I've underlined and all these things. Well, I said so. You can't have a tattoo. Right? Doesn't that just frustrate you and upset you? Can you think of another time? Maybe your parents are saying, yeah, you can't. You can't hang out with those friends. Why? Because I said so. I think that's one of the most frustrating things to us is when we're asked to obey when we don't understand why we're to obey. But you realize what your parents are saying in those times? They're saying to trust them. Now, this is very important. This is why I want you to write down because this will summarize what we're going through tonight. Obedience without trust is legalism. What's legalism? Can anyone give me an answer? You know, the first instance of legalism being used in the English vocabulary was in 1928. Fun fact. <laughs> so what's legalism? <laughs> How do I know that? I study way too hard. Here, yes. Works without faith. Mm. I would say yes, but can you boil that down in, in more layman's terms? So in other words, for the person who just walked into the church, what is legalism? Uh, doing works for the sake of yourself and mm. not because you already have something inside. Yes, Aaron just said, you're doing works for your own sake, for yourself. That is legalism. You're doing it out of selfish reasons. The people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders were obeying the law not because they 
they really loved God and wanted to worship him and had faith in him, but because they wanted to make themselves righteous and appear righteous before other people. They wanted to look like awesome dudes. And so that's the reason why they obeyed. So obedience without trust is legalism. But catch this. Obedience with trust is love. Obedience with trust is love. Think about it. The Bible says to, uh, the Bible says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And if you're trusting what someone says, you obey out of love and say, you know what? I trust you because I love you. Look at what happens in, in John chapter 12. As we know, last week we were learning about um, this is really the last miracle that Jesus did because he raised Lazarus. And after this, that's when all the religious leaders sought to kill him and they went after him. And so now we see Jesus in a private setting once again. His first miracle was at a wedding, as we remember. It was in a house. And now he's back at a house. And let's see what happens. In verse 1, it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 300 denarii, by the way, is about a year's worth of wages. A lot of money. So you work for an entire year, and it's just dumped on the ground. That's what happened. So then he said, uh, this he said in verse 6, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Burial, For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. You see, back in those days, they didn't have banks. So it was very common for them to take their investments in small portable sizes. So you have expensive fragrances, you have expensive oils, you stick it in a bottle and like if you're, you know, passing it on to someone, you could just bring those bottles and pass them on to the next person. So here was a fragrant oil, spikenard, and this Mary had and she just takes it and just pours it all over the body of Jesus. And so this thing worth a year's wages, I mean just imagine for a second, someone takes $50,000 and just tosses it off the side of a cliff. It's like, here, money. You'd be like, whoa, what are you doing? Why would we have that reaction? Why would we be shocked? It's not our money. We'd be shocked because you're thinking, well, you're just wasting it. If you're going to waste it, why don't you just give it to me? Right? So we're thinking out of our own selfish gain. And this is what Judas is thinking. Not because he actually cared for the poor. He's like, you should have at least given this to the poor. No, he was cared about himself. He stole the money. Also, interesting to know that you, you realize the disciples had no idea that Judas was a, a betrayer. They thought he, he looked like everyone else, just fit right in. And when they found out it was Judas, you know, Jesus said, one of, the one who dips his hand uh, the same time as me, he's the betrayer. And they're all saying like, oh, is it I, is it I? And they're all questioning because they didn't know. It wasn't like just stuck out like a sore thumb and he had like devil horns and like, ha ha ha, silly money, look at me. He fit right in there. 
You got to be careful of those people. But that's a side note. Anyway, so why would it bother us? Because we feel like it's wasted and we all think you should at least give it to me. But what's important to note is that this money wasn't wasted. In fact, this was the greatest purpose that could ever be conceived. There is no greater purpose than what Mary did for Jesus. And you're thinking, just take really expensive oil and just dump it all over Jesus' body? It doesn't make any sense. Because if you think from a logical standpoint, it doesn't make sense, right? Because there really are poor people out there. There really are people dying. I mean, think about it when you're like, you're eating your leftovers and you're, you know, your parents always tell you, make sure you finish every last bite. Why? Because there are people that are in Africa starving or wherever, Australia or something. And they're, you know, they're probably in New Jersey. And if you don't finish your food, you're basically, you know, you know, taking advantage of the things that we have here. So why does that apply to Jesus? Wasn't it kind of selfish to just let people waste all that oil on him while people were dying? Well, think about what you're saying. If you say that we should never do anything like that, Mary should never be able to do things like she did right here, um, then you should never give any flowers to the person that you love on Valentine's Day. You should never give any Christmas presents on Christmas. And you're probably outraged, like, no, I want presents. Why would we reject to that? Why would we object to that? That's because we believe that money, using investments, is a way to show our love for someone else. Right? The things that we have is a great way to show that we love the other person. And you see, that's exactly what happened with Mary. She was extravagant in her love for Jesus. And so she was willing to sacrifice a large investment. And so this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, I have given you so much. I'm sorry. I'm not talking. Oh, there we go. The mic is working. It's great. You see, God is looking down. He's like, listen, I've given you life. I've given you all your gifts. I've given you your family that you love so much. And I'm about to save you from all your sins. And you're worried about spending some of your precious oil and wasting it. I mean, can you ever outgive God? Can you ever bless God so much that it's a waste? Never. You see, our whole lives should be in gratitude towards God. But many of us are afraid of how it looks to other people. Isn't that what people say that, are, that aren't Christians? They look at your life? They'll never be able to understand why you go to church. Never understand why you spend so much time reading your Bibles. You crazy people, why are you praying? You know, I kind of had that mentality when I was a freshman in high school. And like, I know some of you freshmen might feel the same ways, but you don't have to raise your hands or anything. I'd be in prayer circles. Wow, I just spit. I was in prayer circles. And I would get so antsy because I had so much energy. And I'm like, people are dying out there. Why are we praying? We're just sitting around. I just want to go do stuff. And like before we go evangelize, I'm like, I get it. Yeah, we, like God hears us. Let's go. Because I just like couldn't sit still for that long. But that reminds me of when Jesus was talking to Martha. You remember when Martha was all busy and was like, Jesus, Mary's just sitting around doing nothing. And here I am doing all the work. Tell her to help me. And remember what Jesus said? Martha, Martha. I'm going to quote it to you as soon as I turn the page. You are worried and troubled about many things, 
But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. In Luke chapter 10, verses 41 through 42. So let me ask you this. Are you being bold for Jesus? Are you being extravagant in your love and devotion towards him? Or are you afraid of embarrassment? I remember one time when I was a junior in high school, I liked a girl. And my friends were like, dude, you should totally like show her that you love her by buying her flowers. Worst advice ever because she didn't like me back. So here I am going into church with the flowers, handing it to her. Unbeknownst to me, everyone's probably behind me in like horror and shock. I'm like, no, don't do it. What are you doing? And I was just being extravagant. <laughs> and that was a very bad idea because she was trying to get with her ex-boyfriend at the time. So it just made things even more awkward. But I think some of us are afraid of that same embarrassment. Like we don't want to be bold for Jesus because of what everyone else is going to think. Oh no, that person's a Jesus freak. Oh no, that person, they love God. Oh yeah, they, they have that embarrassing like they didn't know card on the back. It kind of looks really corny and, and whatever. Are you afraid of what people think? We can't be man pleasers. We have to be pleasers of God. Remember how much God has done for you. And we have to make that the most important thing in our life. Everything else is secondary. And that's why Jesus says, listen, the poor you will have with you all the time. You're never going to run out of poor people. I'm not going to be here forever. Because Jesus was to ascend into heaven. So listen very carefully. We need to make God's glory our priority. That's a simple way to remember it. Make God's glory your priority. Our duty isn't to take care of every single need. It's to glorify God. You see, the reason why there's so many poor people in this world is because people have failed to give God the glory he deserves. The reason why we're hurting is because we sin. Because we haven't followed God's commands. Because we haven't been obedient to what he's called us to do. Now, how that looks, though, will depend on where God is leading you. I think so many people don't have priorities. And they don't have God right here and like, at the end of the day, I need to make sure that God is given the glory he deserves. Because of that, you're always taking care of needs. But this is what Jesus says. The poor you will have with you always. Be about the Father's business. Be about giving God glory. If all you're focusing on, and same thing with this outreach too. If all we're focusing on is solving every problem, fixing every person, and, and healing every single person, you're going to feel overwhelmed. Because you'll never be in lack of people that are in need. But you need to ask yourself, am I giving God his glory? Am I being obedient to what he's called me to do? Remember, Jesus did not heal every single person while he was on this earth. There are a lot of sick people that he actually turned away. And that's because his priority wasn't to take care of people's physical needs. It was to solve the spiritual need. If Jesus just, you know, came to this earth and just tried to heal everyone all day and failed to go to the cross, his mission would have been a failure. In the same way, we need to not just focus on the physical needs. Like, it's great to go to third world countries. It's great to go help people. It's great to go to nursing homes. But if you're not doing it to the glory of God, you have failed in your mission. What makes us different from the world that just wants to help people? They're helping, you know, they're feeding people. They're taking care of the physical needs. But are we solving the spiritual need? I heard one guy say, if we don't take care of the spiritually, what we're going to be doing is they're going to be fully fed as we lead them into hell. 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is something we never want to do. Never miss out on the deeper, more important spiritual need. Make God and Jesus your priority. Here's a sobering question. Are we like Mary, extravagant in our love for Jesus? Or are we like Judas, criticizing others who are? Are we like Mary and we're, Lord, I'll do anything. Yeah, I just, I just love you so much. I'm so thankful for what you've done in my life that you're willing to give up things and sacrifice. Are we like Judas and look at that person trying so hard. What a waste of a life. What position are you in right now? You see, we're called to obey God even if we don't understand of all the ramifications. Even if we don't understand why these needs aren't met. Even if we're not understanding why we're called to this place at this time. Be obedient to where God is calling you right now. Look at verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to, to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Isn't that funny? It's like Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead, and they're so thick-headed, these religious leaders, that they're like, okay, that guy raised from the dead. We have to, like, we have to get rid of the evidence, and we have to kill him. It's like, can you imagine being that hard? And it's like, could, did you ever think that maybe Jesus really is who he said he is if he just raised this person from the dead? Yeah, you know what? We have to kill that guy. Yeah, we got to put him to death. Otherwise, people are going to believe in him. But just, that just shows you that when a person is so hardened to the truth, it doesn't matter what sign you do in front of them. You ever hear your, your atheist friends say, I'll believe if God shows me a sign. Oftentimes, that's not the case. What you, what you don't need is a sign. What you need is faith. Trusting, even if you don't have all the answers. Continuing on in verse 12, it says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had been done, that they had done these things to him. So let me just set, paint a picture for you. What happens is it's about to be Passover. Everyone's getting together for the feast. This is about six days before Jesus is going to be crucified. And so there's about two million Jews that are all over the place. And so a great many people are coming to hear Jesus speak and see what he has to say. And this is what is, is making this, this whole story come to a close is because there's so many people and the Pharisees are getting even more nervous that so he's going to have more followers. And so Jesus comes riding on a donkey's colt. You see, this day was a day predicted in Daniel chapter 9 to the very day that Jesus, the Messiah, would be coming. That's why it lists some of these prophecies. That's what makes this, this book so unique from every other religious book. You can see the day that the decree went from King Cyrus, and you count just as it is uh, according to uh, Daniel the prophet in the book of Daniel chapter 9, you count how many ever days that he talks about, and you get right to the day, April 4th, uh, 32 AD. It's amazing. It's amazing what God can do. And so they were in expectancy 
that the Messiah was going to come. And so everyone was ready for the Messiah, and they knew that it had to be this guy, Jesus. And so he comes, but what they're expecting is a political Messiah, if you remember. They're expecting someone to save now, free them from Rome. And that's what Hosanna means. Hosanna just means save now. So they're expecting it and they're waving palm trees. Why palm trees? Does anyone know? Why palm trees? I'd be really impressed if you knew this, actually. Well, palm trees goes back to when Hanukkah started. There was a guy named Judas Maccabeus who started a revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes, who you can read about in the book of Maccabees. This isn't a, you know, a biblical book, but it is historical. This guy Antiochus Epiphanes took over Israel and then tried to do the abomination of des desolation by taking a pig and sacrificing it in the Holy of Holies. So he just wanted to get every, rid of everything Jewish, ruin the entire Jewish identity. And it looked like he would have succeeded except for the fact that the Jewish people are backed by God. And he wasn't allow, about to allow them to get extinct. And so Judas Maccabeus starts the first revolt, gets them out of the temple, and then his brother Simon Maccabeus actually gets them out of Israel. And that's where we uh, commemorate Hanukkah. And so palm trees became the national symbol of salvation and uh, national fervor. So now they're waving palm trees as this kind of, we're going to take over Rome. We've done it once and we're going to do it again. And so that's what they're expecting. But you see, normally when a warrior is going out to battle, what do you ride on? Uh, no, a tank. No, a horse. Yes. You ride on a horse. If you had a tank, you'd probably use that back in the day, I guess. Um, but what does he ride on? A donkey. They're expecting this brave warrior who's going to take over Rome, and he's riding on a donkey. And now these donkeys are like pitiful. They're like this tall. Not very tall. For those that are listening on the audio, I just it was like three feet or something. I don't know. I can't count. I'm out of school, even though I'm Asian. Um, Yes, sorry. The point is, their expectancy wasn't fulfilled. You see, they had to trust and obey even if they didn't understand what was going on. Because Jesus was going to take care of the more important, once again, spiritual need of the people. And so what's really funny is that his disciples, in verse 16, didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remember these things that were written about him and that they had done these things to him. So as John's writing this gospel, he's just like, he's overwhelmed. He's like, how do we miss this? How do we not get this the whole time? Like Jesus showed us these signs, told us he was going to be crucified, and we didn't believe him. We totally like missed out on this. Do you realize that there are times in your life that God will call you to do things and you're not going to understand why? Soren Kierkegaard had this great quote. He said this, life can, only, uh, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. In other words, have you ever had a time in your life where it seemed just so dark or dry, you're going through a dry season, you're like, God, where are you leading me? What are you doing? And then in a year, two years, you look back and like, oh, it makes sense now. That's why God led me to this place. I always talk about this, but there was that period of time in 2008 that I took a year off of college to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I had no idea. Absolutely no idea. It felt like every single door was closed. And it was a dry time. I remember 
you know, just talking about it with my friends. I'm like, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. And I was like, God, why am I here? I don't feel like I have any talents, any giftings, any abilities. And I would just sulk. It was the most miserable year of my life. It really was. All my friends were getting married. All my friends were going all away to school. And I felt like I was left behind, you know. And I, just, I was just so down on myself. But I didn't realize that using that time when I was in my darkest moment and just simply deciding to choose to follow God, read the word, even though no one was telling me to, no one was asking me to, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to keep on reading the Bible and see what happens. And this natural joy and this experience with God came to me, which, I, you know, I just, I loved it. I wanted to pursue after that. And then one after another, door started opening. Now I look back and it's like, it makes sense. I actually found yesterday a message I sent to uh, Joey Rozek back in 2010, my youth pastor. I found it on Facebook and it was just like this long message of just, hey, Joey, can you just pray for me? Because I got asked by Andy Dean to take over junior high ministry today, and I'm really scared. I'm not sure if I want to do it. I don't know what this means for my life, but I, th I think I want to do it. I'm not really sure. Can you just pray for me? And now I'm looking at that, and it's just like, it's so funny. Like, imagine if I had never accepted that call. But some things only make sense when you look backwards, and that's why we need to trust in, in the fact that God has all of our times in his hand. You're secure. You're safe. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because God's in control. Just realize that God has worked in the past and he can also work in the future. Verse 17. Therefore the people who were with him when he had called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said amongst themselves, You see that you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Wouldn't that be so cool? To see that happen in our day, like with this youth rally or whatever comes in the future, you guys get so excited. I mean, I don't know if I told you, told you guys this, but Mark Abrams, one of the, the pastors in Calvary Chapel, North Philly, is a senior pastor there, has a lot of mission teams, has a lot of kids come through his group uh, to go evangelizing. And he has such a natural gift and talent for that. But he said to me when I was at the pastor's conference, out of all the groups over the years of him pastoring there, our group of kids is the most spiritually mature he's ever seen in his life. Isn't that crazy? That is something to, to praise God for and to be thankful for. You know, I see it in you guys too. Imagine if you guys use that potential. Stop doubting yourself. Stop saying, I don't know if I can do it. But you start believing in God even if you don't see. And then you find out one day that people are saying, look, the world has gone after Jesus based on the obedience of his followers. Not out of legalism, not after, not, not because I'm telling you to and you better otherwise or else or your parents are telling you to, you better go evangelize these people, but because you love God and you want to see him move mightily in your, in your life, you start obeying him. Verse 20, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they said to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and asked him saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered him, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. 
He also says elsewhere in the Gospels that whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, if you try to hold on to your life, try to take control and say, you know what, God, forget you. I'm going to do my own thing. You're going to find yourself in a world of trouble because all of a sudden you have to rise up and become your own God. And all the problems of the universe are riding on you. When pain enters your, your world, when that job doesn't work out, when that school thing doesn't work out, when you don't get that good grade, it's your fault. And you have no control. And your future is in your hands. What do you do? If you surrender it to God, you're safe. And that's where you're going to find true life because he is never able, uh, he will never let go of what he has when he has a hold of your heart. I don't even need these notes. But I'm picking them up anyway. Verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, for this but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And, it, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Crazy. There are a couple things that we can point out here in this small little section. Number one, did you catch this? It said that Jesus said, my soul is troubled. That word actually means horror agitated anxiety if you've ever been anxious before you're in good company because Jesus was anxious too the difference though is that he didn't stay anxious instead what did he say he said fathers uh, but for this purpose I came to this hour and that's what gave him his comfort is he knew he was obeying the commands of the father he was in God's will and there was no sense in worrying, there's no sense in, in, in being concerned about what was going to happen to him because he knew that he was safe in the Father's will. You know, if you're going to live your life for God, you don't have to wonder, is there going to be fruit in my life? You are guaranteed to have fruit. You don't have to be worried and like, oh, I don't know, I've invested so much, I've read so much of the Bible and I just wasted so much time. You're never going to say that. You're never going to have to worry if you're evangelizing and they don't receive that word. Don't be worried. I think some of us get discouraged because you start evangelizing to people and they don't respond right away. They turn you down or whatever. But you don't know what, what's, what kind of effect that's going to have on people. You don't know if you're going to get to heaven and there's going to be a mom that thanks you for evangelizing to their kid 20 years ago. You're like, what? I, all I did was hand out a postcard. Like, yes, but that started a chain reaction that eventually led to my son accepting Jesus. You just don't know. Now, I'm not saying rejoice less when people do get saved. I'm saying don't rejoice less when people don't get saved. Because you never know if that person you've been praying for for seven years will one day accept him. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. And this is what Jesus means when he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. As Jesus sacrificed his life and it produced fruit, when you sacrifice yourself for the Lord, 
You give up certain things, certain habits, certain ways of saying things, cursing or whatever you give up to God, it will always produce fruit. It's never a waste. Also, the second thing is when this voice from heaven acknowledges Jesus. In verse 28, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people that are standing by, they thought it thundered. So let me ask you this. When Jesus is speaking, the word of God is going forth. Do you hear and do you understand or is it just a bunch of noise? When the word of God goes forth, are you able to discern what he's speaking to your heart? Or am I just mumbling right now? Are you praying? Are, when we're worshiping here, are you coming with that position in your heart? Are you taking notes on a Sunday when you're sitting in with Pastor Lloyd? Are you saying, Lord, I want to receive everything that you have to tell me. How many of us are waiting for God to speak to us and we're missing out because we're not reading our Bibles in that morning? And God's like, yeah, I wanted to speak to you all day and you didn't come and listen to me. We have to ask for the Holy Spirit to teach us what the Spirit is saying to us. Otherwise, it's just going to be foolishness to us. But when you do trust and surrender to the Lord, you say, Lord, I love you. I care about you. You know what happens? Even in the hardest of times, as John 14, 15, uh, sorry, Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stay on you because he trusts in you. You don't have to worry about things that are going on in your life because God will keep you in perfect peace as you trust in him. Look at verse 34. And we're going to finish out this chapter. The people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus said to him, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed their report? And to whom the, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of them. This can be a little scary, right? It just says right here that Jesus hardened um, their hearts, blinded their eyes, so that they wouldn't be able to come to repentance. They're like, well, is he talking about me? Like, I want to come to Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Is he going to, like, blind me? No, you don't have to worry about that. You see, what this means here in this passage is that because they have already determined in their hearts to reject God, they were not willing to come to him. There is no other, other thing than for when um, people who are in darkness, there's two things that are going to happen. Let me explain it this way. Two things are going to happen. When you turn on the light, you're either going to squint and like, ah, oh, turn the lights back off, or you're going to be a person that approaches the light. The light doesn't change, doesn't change the way that it looks or like doesn't come out in different colors or whatever. Light is light. But how you respond to light 
determines on your reaction to the light. So the person who's like, oh, I just don't want to see the light, that person's going to be angry. He's going to be frustrated. He wants to stay away from it. So the more light you shine on them, they're like, no, 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 look, you want to see. Don't you want to see? You're just trying to take a flashlight. You just stick it in someone's face. Like, stop that. And the more you put the light in their eyes, the more annoyed they're going to get. But the person who wants to see the light, you don't have to shine it in their eyes. Like, I get it. Okay, thank you. Let me have the flashlight and let me see where I'm going. That's the two different responses we can take towards Jesus. But the more light is shined on the people that don't want it, the harder their hearts get and the more blind they become. But that's not to say that people can't receive him because it even says in verse 42, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But, and here's where we want to really hone in as we close out tonight. Because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Wouldn't that be terrible to have that be your badge, to be your label? Joe Schmo was the guy who loved the praise of men rather than the praise of God. That would be so sad to go through our lives and looking as we evangelize to say something clever and, and to go up to our friends and be like, haha, I saved five people. Look at you, you peasant. You didn't even get one. For the kingdom. Like, may we never become those people that are looking for a platform, you know, looking to get our gifts used only so that we can be worshipped rather than directing people to the one who's only worthy of worship. May we never become the people that are like, oh, what a waste, that person just dumping all that expensive fragrance all over Jesus, anointing him and making him look all great and, and preparing him for his burial. What a terrible waste. May we never become that Judas, but let us have those eyes to see as God sees and to care about the things that he cares about. To be worried about only the things of God and not the things of this earth. Verse 44, then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. See, Jesus didn't come into the world to go condemn you and say, look at you terrible people, you're all such sinners. Never would he come over and just say, you just wicked sinners, you evil people. Except to the Pharisees who didn't believe that they were evil people. He had to expose that darkness to them. But the people that, you know, the woman at the well, he approached her when no one else did. You see, he didn't come to the world to just accuse you. He came to save you because he loves you. And so when he commands us to do things, when he says go out into the world and make disciples of all the nations, that command is out of love for us and we obey out of love for him. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So out of gratitude, out of sheer just enjoyment of who God is, we should go into the world. Be bold, not care of what people say, not look to be pleasers of men, not care of what people think about us, but say, what does God think about me? Because he's the one who died for me. 
that popular girl in school, that popular guy in school, they do not matter because you know what? One day they'll be gone. There's only one person whose name will last forever, and that's the name of Jesus, the living word. And that's why I'm going to spend time in my Bible because the more I spend time in the written word, the more I know the, the living word. And when you set your mind to do that, obedience comes naturally because you trust the one that you love. If a person who you really love asks you to do something, you obey even if you don't understand everything because you trust them. Relationships are built on trust. So if you're finding his commandments hard to obey, the Bible says his commandments are not burdensome. We should obey not out of obligation because that's legalism. That's saying, God, I will obey you as long as you give me what I want. But obey out of sheer love of who God is and thankfulness. And if you do that, that sweetness, that love for Jesus will be apparent. And that's the thing that people will be drawn to. As you go evangelizing, can you imagine like, um, my youth leader told me I'm supposed to evangelize. So here, here it is. Oh, wait, I should probably show you that you're a loser because I know more than you. So let me debate you too. You know, like, how is that going to win anyone for the kingdom? Instead, with that love, say, hey, man, I just, I just, you know what? I don't even know you. I love you. Like, that's weird. Great. I'm not, I don't care what you think anyway. <laughs> you would not believe. I went evangelizing last Saturday. And I sat down. I was with, you know, some, some people from the youth group. I sat down with these kids. You would not believe what happened. I sit down with these kids. They start off, they all start off the same. They're just like joking around, making fun of me and making fun of everything. And they're kind of wondering like, okay, what, why are you really here? And what are you really trying to get out of me? Like, is this a survey? Are you doing this for homework? And I'm like, I'm not in high school, but thanks. You know, they want to know your agenda. And as they're joking, goofing around, there comes a point in time in which when you're sharing the gospel and what Jesus says, all of a sudden they get really quiet and they're like locked onto what you're saying. Really focused. This has happened like three times already. And I haven't gone evangelizing that much, so that says a lot. They're really focused. They're really intent on what you're saying. They ask really good questions. And it's at that point that I realize these kids go to public school, they live in suburban America, and they have no idea what the good news of Jesus Christ is. What in the world? What is that? It reminds me of what Jesus said. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Are you going to be one of those people that says, here I am, Lord, send me? Are you going to be that person who says, I want to go into that harvest. I want to see what God has for me. I don't care what people think. Because if you do that, you're going to get the, some, some of the things that I experience. You know, we were asking them those questions, and they were asking me good questions, and they were responding and, you know, two of them were Mormon. One of them was an atheist. It was an exciting time. And even if they didn't accept Jesus on the spot, I knew that I had an effect because I gave the word of God. And that's exciting. And I hope that you guys get to take a part of that too. Not out of obligation, but out of trust in the Lord. Even if you don't understand what will happen or what kind of effect this will have. But you're saying, Lord, I love you and I obey you too. Let's pray.